Welcome to How to Build a Tent. My name is Matt Williams, and we got another great interview coming at you. We have Chocolate Knox from the Cross Politics Show. I, I love the fact you're rocking our shirt. Yeah. 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 The first shirt ever. I got it signed by all three of you. I'm just we kidding. didn't sign that shirt. Nah. <laughs> we don't do that here. We don't do that here. Uh, the great thing about having a guest on from your show is you can blame them when it's late. When everything goes wrong, you can just blame them. And that's what I'm doing. David, it's all your fault. And I want to apologize to everyone who's watching us live. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the, the first rule in show business is there's no such thing as mistakes. I need to take notes. Yeah, maybe a little For, bit. Yes, I've probably talked about this before on this show, but uh, Chocolate Knox has been the mentor for me. And anything good that comes out of my podcast is because he has taught me. And so I really appreciate that and want to give uh, credit where it's due. So thank you for all of that. So uh, are you blaming me for your show now? Exactly. Like, if it goes wrong. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> if you are looking at the QC of my show, it's Knox's fault. Uh huh. So I have to do some contractually obligated things. And then we're going to get into an interview talking about by what standard the synodoc mm. that just came out. And the first question is going to be, what's the difference between a documentary and a synodoc? But yeah, that was, uh, that's a teaser. Okay. That's right. my cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are part of the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Go over to flfnetwork.com, put in HGBT in the dropdown, and you'll get this sweet 15-ounce mug. And you'll get tons of other great content that David produces. There's shows on sales. There's the um, Proverbs series by Toby, which is phenomenal and tons of other great stuff. But most of all, you're going to be supporting us, coming alongside of us and being a part of what we're doing as we proclaim the Lordship of Jesus in every area of life. If you have any questions, comments, recommendations of who you want us to have on the show, you can email me, Matt, at howtobuildatent.com or you can subscribe at howtobuildatent. And if you want to be part of the live show, like we have a bunch of people in the in the uh i don't know I see that cyber lobby yeah uh, follow me on the social media sites and i'll send out links of when we're going to be recording because it just happens randomly to be honest uh david chocolate Knox, sorry i gotta get that, that right. works yeah. my mama named me david i still answer to that <laughs> i never know which name to use um where can they people find you uh at underscore i'd say at chocolate Knox underscore not at chocolate oh. underscore Knox. I can't even remember my own Twitter handle. Just look at making you nervous, Knox on Twitter. <laughs> no, I don't ever look at my own Twitter handle. I looked at the other day trying to log in and I, I actually got locked out of my own Twitter handle. Uh, I, didn't know what the <laughs> name was. I made that thing like 10 years ago or something. I haven't looked at it since, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, oh, big Nick talks about the worldview shotgun series. It stays on repeat. Stays on repeat. So a big shout Thank out. Thank you, from sir. Salute. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I and this is a little inside secret that I've been begging David to be on the show for about uh, episode one. Yeah, I don't I don't do many interviews. <laughs> no, you don't. You're hard, very hard to get. So I really appreciate it. I'm a producer. I produce stuff. You produce things. Yes. And you do it very well, my friend. Very Thank well. you. Yes. So let's get into it. First of all, what is a synodoc versus a documentary or a movie? Uh, I mean, they're all films. So got um, you got feature films, you have documentary films, you have movies. I think people kind of films and movies is kind of interchangeable language. Uh, when I was I've done a few documentaries before, and I think it's easy for documentaries to slip into a just capture, just uh, point the camera and let what's going to happen happen mm -hmm. without 
being cinematic in their approach with their lighting or seeing um, how to light the room. Or one of the big things I think would say that people always feel like with documentaries that if there's no narrator over the top of it, no one's going to get it. And so, and so with documentaries, a lot of times you hear just a narrator giving you all of the, the, the gold. And you mm-hmm. never really have to dig for it. And so with the movie, with a, with a feature film or with cinema, this, there's actually plot lines that happen inside of the narrative. And you have to work for it sometimes to see how this connects to that and connects to this thing. With, with documentaries, they're usually pretty straightforward. This was bad. This is good. We tested it. Here's the result. Uh, mm-hmm. with, a, with a, with a cine, cine doc, and the reason I wanted to call it cine doc is I wanted to be a cinematic documentary where I told my buddy the next thing I make was going to be something like this where there's plot lines, where there's a, a, a narrative, there's an arc here. It has the beginning and the end, and the end ties back into the beginning. And so it wasn't just like a bunch of information that you can grasp. It was stuff that you actually had to put together for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to do some heavy lifting. There was no narrator there. You had to make, uh, you had to get out your uh, your pick and your axe, and you had to mine for the gold yourself. And so with a cine doc, the whole goal is to try and be in the format of a feature film where- the plot lines are there, the storylines are there, and it connects back to the beginning in one way or another. Mm-hmm. I was totally expecting it. Yeah, it's just coming a hipster way to say documentary, but that totally sure. makes sense. It's the science of a documentary and the experimenting and like getting to the root cause. And then it's also the art of cinema and it's combined, combining those two. And yeah. it really comes out in by what standard. It's a great storyline. The shooting, I don't know how to say it. What would that be? Cinema? The cinematography? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I'm a legit film critic here. You got it. Uh, it was it was a beautifully told story, my friend, and I just uh, thank you. Think it was fantastic. Uh, so, how did you get into doing this in the first place? Um, I've talked about before my story with uh, working at Wretched and working with those guys there with Todd mm-hmm. Friel. Uh, when I got to In Touch Ministries in Georgia, when Wretched moved down to Georgia, I I walked into a production room. And I saw these guys taking what I thought was pretty bland material and turn it into something that was beautiful to watch. And so that that attracted me because I do that with music a lot. I'll take chords and put them together with structures for a verse and for a hook and then come up with a bridge. And what was just like three chords turns into 20, turns into a transition, turns into a beginning, middle and end. And I saw the same thing inside of film and media. And I wanted to capture stories. Mm-hmm. And a huge part of that was watching. And I, so when I got to In Touch, I just saw their big productions like, oh, my goodness, I just want to be a part of that machine. But um, along came Darren Doan, who was able to take very uh, minute things and make them really big in production and was able to tell the same sort of story, even though he was using equipment that probably wasn't at the same standard. It wasn't a red camera. It wasn't it was uh, cameras. Everybody would look over. And he would grab that and tell a story and still make it look good. And I was like, oh, I don't have to wait till I get up to this level to do it. I can do it right now uh, at the level I'm at. And so that, you know, in touch, watching those guys work. And then Darren saying, you don't have to wait till you get this level to be able to produce something. Start telling short stories if they're three minutes long, if they're five minutes long. If they're 60 seconds, just tell the story, beginning, mm-hmm. middle, and end. And that attracted me. Yeah, Darren Doan just does amazing work with things. I was even just watching him. He's doing a series where he's featuring like small businesses, like a bagel store. Yep. And oh my goodness, like I didn't even know there was a story to making bagels. And he sure put yeah. one together and just the production of it is phenomenal. 
Yeah, um, he doesn't wait for somebody. He doesn't wait for permission. That was one of the things too. Is I think uh, Darren will be the first person to tell you, don't go to film school. Like, get you a take the money you would go to film school, grab whatever that is, like say ten thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. You don't even need all of that, and just say, okay, you're going to make a film for ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And he basically says, by the time you get done with that ten thousand dollars, you're going to have a film school education. You're going to have to take that money, figure out how to get marketing, how to get uh, it into the network, so that people can buy iTunes or whatever. Um, so if you take that and you try and go through the full process of making a film, you're going to understand all the in- intricate um, uh, uh, nuances of trying to make a film, but you're using real money. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. No, that's such a good point. And I honestly have had that perspective for a long time because there are things that you are not going to learn the intricacies and the nuances of any new subject, any new trade, any new art. Uh, that you're not going to learn until you get into doing those experiences. I was just talking, though, to somebody who is in art school. And I was like, so what's the point of art? Because I'm totally coming at it from your direction. Like, just go do it. Like, you don't need a degree in art. But then she was saying that it's really helped her kind of understand standards and what objective beauty is. And I'm like, oh, well, that must be actually a pretty good course. Because a lot of the art students that I talk about have no idea what they're doing with their life. And they're just, you know, wanting to do paintings or whatever. Yeah, that's interesting what objective beauty is. It's like we know what objective beauty is. You've right. seen the sunset. Mm-hmm. You've seen the sunrise. You've seen um, uh, somebody give up their last. Like we we know inherently what objective beauty is. It's amazing. Everybody, uh, we never have to teach somebody who the underdog is or to root for them. But we yeah. know it inherently. That's and so, so I think a lot of times is that we just we, we don't investigate God's world well enough to be able to see how God made the world and what how the world operates. And so when we when we don't do that, then we do have to go and tell somebody and get somebody to tell us, oh, well, this is what objective beauty is. Well, just look around. It's everywhere. And we know what's not beautiful. We know right. what's ugly. You know, yeah. we get that. And so um and I'm not trusting postmoderns at this point start telling me what objective beauty is. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. very true. That's so wise. I just came up or you just came up with the title of the show. It's going to be Investigating God's World. Oh, that. that's a good one. Uh, so you are a Presby, as everyone knows. What? How'd you know? I, you know, I don't know. It's something about that end of uh, every show that you ever do. Um, So what story and what interested you about the story that you're telling and what is that story in the SBC and why did you feel like you wanted to be a part of that? You know, I actually, um, I, I I fell in love with my Baptist brothers in Georgia or in, in Florida this past January. And when you, when you fall, when you have a, a very close kinship with people their their burdens become your burdens their stories become your stories and uh hearing tom and jared talk about reformed baptist was really interesting uh and so they they really catch cuz i think that baptists usually don't get the reform title as i somewhat oxymoron but uh, uh <laughs> careful uh, Joel's here uh, <laughs> but but you know what though if there was a reformed baptist i would have to give it to my 1689 founders brothers like they they are really in every way, trying to understand this and do this as biblically as they can. And I appreciate that. I think there's a lot of, most of the time the Anabaptists take the, the cake for who's more well-known and, and uh, the kind of the puritanical Baptists don't really get that much love. Like um, Ray Rhodes was another person who 
just full of joy and reformed. And he didn't have this kind of separatist attitude that you get sometimes from a lot of Baptists. He was very much inclusive to his Presbyterian brothers. And so when I got to Florida and, and we're just hanging out with those guys, man, I just, I just locked in with Tom, you know, mm-hmm. and Jared and just kind of fell in love with what founders was doing. And then, you know, with the whole social justice conversation happening and seeing them trying to engage it and battle it, uh, the story became really quick about the Southern Baptist convention. And I started seeing from their point of view, why it was so important. And I, I, I don't think I put it together until I was actually there at the convention. Like, this is beautiful. You know, this is, um, I like biblical ecumenism where we can actually be together, even though we have differences mm-hmm. theologically. And I think Southern Baptists, you know, e- even they're all Baptistic, they have a, a huge degree of Baptists and get, you know, you got all the way from Al Mohler to Stephen Furtick. Yeah. Right. And, right. and I think, I don't even know if Joel Osteen's in that camp, but he might be. And uh, then, and so there's this weird kind of ecumenism that comes together for the goal of gospel mission. And so to unite that many people um, under one denomination uh, who have so many different commitments theologically, it's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really and, is. When yeah. you see all the division around it and you can look and find unity, it's a, an amazing thing. And, yeah, and Chad, I appreciate it. That- yeah, for sure. Chad in the notes is like, no, we don't want Joel Osteen. That's funny. He's a bad No, he's yours. That's false. Y'all get Joel. Um, <laughs> and so, but... You know, watching watching how they operate and seeing how they function, seeing how the Southern Baptist Convention functions, reminded me a lot about uh, just our American politics. And you know, hearing Rod Martin talk about the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, fifteen million uh, people, uh, fifty thousand churches, you know, roughly twelve to thirteen or so billion dollars that flows through there. It, it it made me think that man. Out of all the institutions that are standing, the Southern Baptist Convention really is the last great conservative institution in uh, in evangelicalism in the public square. Mm-hmm. And I had to begin to see in a lot of ways that I needed to be grateful for them and in probably ways that I wasn't before because they're holding up the the basically they're the last dam to break before America gets flooded with uh, postmodernism, uh, liberalism, the whole nine. And so even though their theological positionings are not necessarily where mine are, they allow me to operate in ways that I wouldn't be able to operate probably the last 30 years if they had mm-hmm. not been there. So yeah. a lot of appreciation. for that. And so telling that story, telling how important it was, was, and we didn't even get into all of that inside of the film, but just telling how important the Baptist Convention is was mm-hmm. huge. So the documentary kind of revolves around, was it SB9, the specific uh, resolution, resolution? Yeah. Resolution 9. Uh, regarding the the use of using critical theory. And I think they frame it as a tool to... Analytical tool. An analytical tool to analyze society. Right. And so um, what is the state of it now? Is it Did it pass? Or should that be like the spoiler in the uh, movie that we shouldn't give away? <laughs> just give it all away, Matt. Give just, it all away. Uh, no, I mean everybody knows Resolution Nine passed. Mm-hmm. Every, everybody after Resolution Nine after Resolution Nine passed, it was everywhere. Um, you still got video of Tom Askell on the floor with Tom Buck, excuse mm-hmm. me, speaking um, against the resolution or trying to amend the resolution. So it was public. It was everywhere. Mm-hmm. But what wasn't everywhere was how it happened. 
how that whole resolution went down was only amongst those people in the room. I mean, there, there were a few articles that went out. I believe the, uh, the sword and the trial podcast with Tom Askell and Jared Longshore, they talked about it there, but it's another thing to sit there and experience the way that that went down. I just, it blew my mind. It's almost like the impeachment in one sense is like, <laughs> like what, how did you do that again? What's uh -huh. the reason? How, what, why did you look at the FISA document? Okay. never mind. Anyway. Right. Um, it was the parliamentary fiasco that went down mm -hmm. shocked me. And it was almost kind of like a, like, look, you need to look at this. This is important. Pay attention. And I would have never paid attention to it. Um, it wasn't a part of the film. It wasn't something that we were like, oh, let's go look and make sure that we investigate um, this particular critical race theory and intersectionality resolution nine at Southern Baptist convention. That wasn't even when we were filming, Rob Martin brought it up in one of his interviews, in his interview, and at the time, I was like, okay, cool. That's not the scope of my doc. That's not the scope of what I want to talk about. So we'll just mm -hmm. catch a little snippet of it as Tom goes up there to talk about it. So yeah. uh, wasn't that important at the moment? Mm -hmm. I love that your your uh, documentary really does bring that out of what was actually happening and just the the practical ways that it was being done, the tactics that they were using, and it was it was like shocking to actually watch i can't remember the last time i've watched a documentary or a synodoc where i was just like sat back and said wow i can't yeah. believe that's how that went down it was yeah. absolutely amazing so we have a question from somebody in the show notes je myers says so what happens next if they don't repeal resolution resolution nine what if we continue down or the sbc continues down this woke hole like, what are your suggestions for conservatives in the SBC? Oh, man. Well, become first back, of all, become Presbyterians, right? Why are you trying to boy? I said it so you don't have to. <laughs> um, I think right now there needs to be a very strong focus on the convention in 2020. Um, but this isn't. This doesn't just happen like on accident. There's other things that are going on that leads up to this particular event. Mm -hmm. So whenever sin kind of comes up in our life or some, some something that uh, some huge event, it's not like it just comes out of left field. There's always a development of this that leads up to and then you have some sort of climax to it. Mm -hmm. And so I think Resolution 9 is we it just kind of was caught in the middle of this. But there's a reason that Resolution 9 even made it to the committee floor. I mean, it, but it didn't make it there in a, it, the way that it even got there, this is in the film, the original person that, um, the original pastor that uh, posted or gave resolution nine or gave critical race theory intersectionality to the committee had a one in 180 degree opposite view of it. The committee saw that gutted that resolution and made it a positive and still put his name on the resolution as if that was wow. his intent from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So there's other things going on behind this that leads to resolution nine and leads to critical race theory intersectionality. There's sin in the camp way before we get to critical race theory intersectionality. Uh, and that's why the film is called by what standard we've been letting things slip for a long time. Uh, and, and in the Southern Baptist convention, my brothers have been letting a lot of things slip to the point that you have, you know, even people who are conservative folks pushing for feminism inside the, the, convention mm -hmm. and it sounds all sweet and good but there's a theological positioning that we've lost the anchor to that has let the ship go drifting and so i'm hoping that so to get back to the point of what do you do now well first i think 
Tom Askell at the end of the film says it. So you need to repent. You need to repent. When God shows you sin and shows you something's not right, I think the first thing we want to do is look at everybody else and blame it on them when really the first thing we need to do is say, Lord, my sin has got us to this point. My lack of engagement, my lack of not using your standard to engage my whole life and engage how I do everything, that's that's the problem. And otherwise, we wouldn't even be here. And so I think the first thing is to repent of our own sin and our own hearts that we see that we've been um, adding to this as well. And then from that point is to start fixing the things that are closest to us. I think after you see Resolution 9, how it takes place in the film, I think your first indication, like, let's go out there and do something to fix this. But our most powerful uh, and the, the most that we have access to amongst us is what we can fix first. And so it's like, how are we going to apply God's standard in our local church? How are we going to apply it to our, I don't, I don't, I know they don't call it presbyteries, but they're local institutions, uh, conventions where they're at. And then taking that and then moving out from there to, okay, now let's look at um, Southern Baptist Convention 2020 and let's go repent there too. So you plant, repent all the way to the ground first in your own heart, and you start rolling out repentance from there. So uh, I, I know that we have to go to uh, the convention in 2020 and say, okay, let's um, vote this down. Let's repeal it. Let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's all vote against it. So I think it's getting guys there. But, man, that's not – there's a bigger thing happening with our own hearts that is allowing these things to creep in. Mm-hmm. And the institutions are just shining light that we've forgotten God's standard. So if there is if there's a revival that I want to happen, um, it's not just at the convention. You don't get a con- it's the same thing with, uh, you know, um, Jonah. Jonah didn't go to the king. He went to the people, start preaching. They caught the revival and it bled all the way up. Then the fast starts from the king. And so I think that the repentance needs to start first with us. Lord, how am I complicit in this and my own actions and not obeying your word? Um, and then let that repentance flow all the way to the top. So from the ground up, repentance is what we need. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll know what those actions are, but just because let's say we all go and we repeal resolution nine, was that really the end of it? I mean, I don't, Mm -hmm. you still, you still leave a huge stump, even though you cut the tree down, you got a huge stump that's still there and we need to get at the stump first and the rest of the tree will fall. Yeah, and I mean that's just the defensive part. There still needs to be an offensive strategy too. That's right. Repealing, you got to go address that. And first of all, I just want to say then you need to add that to the end of your show. Start calling Baptist things Presbyterian terms, like the Presbytery, it'll really drive them nuts. Uh, yeah. But I wanted to say you were what you were articulating is what I was thinking of is the sphere sovereignty. And I bring that up because I know that from you guys, and you taught me that, and I love it so much because it is so helpful as an actual analytical tool um, in cases like this as well, right? Because the the smallest fear is ourself and our family. And whenever we see these sins and these outrageous things, we need to go there first and make sure yeah. that we've repented there. And then we go to our churches and then we go to government and so on and so forth. But I mean, the, just like what you're saying, it's not doesn't start at the convention. It starts in our own lives. It starts with our families and what we're preaching and talking about with our families and then our local church. And then it can go up to there because when our churches have repented, that's where the power and the influence is going to happen in the convention. So and, that is yeah. an actual really helpful analytical tool. Well, and actually, and this is what the goal of the film was. You know, we had to choose when we were making this film, who are we making this film for? And so the film in some places is pretty dense. It's got some heavy lifting that you you must do to understand the film. Mm-hmm. But it was geared towards pastors. You know, we were trying to say, you know, 
the if we can get pastors who are the shepherds of these sheep, if we can get them to understand what's going on and to kind of be shaken a little bit and wake up, you know, that's where we want to, that's, that's, that's the, the core of this. And so when you're choosing your target, um, you, you kind of want to say, if the shepherds don't protect the sheep, we're in trouble. Yeah, for sure. So one more question about this documentary is, can you talk a little bit about the pressure? We're talking about these underlying influences and there have definitely mm. been some internal things that have happened and yeah. public things too, with people leaving the board of the founders ministry and things like that. And I want to know just what is your perspective on it? You don't have to name names or anything like, you know, controversial or whatever, but then also yeah. I'm kind of curious from a business or a creative perspective is how can you create such a beautiful piece of art under that kind of pressure? How else is art made? I don't know. Art I was trying art. to set you up with an easy answer. No, and art is, I mean, when, when God made the world, he said it was good. And then he came back and broke it in half. Hmm. Art's always been made under pressure. That's how God makes art. Um, sanctification comes from, it's pressure. You're sanctified yeah. through pressure, uh, through perseverance. Um, you know, you can't do anything without that. Every great story that's ever been told has come from pressure, you know, um, you're just not going to get around that if you want to make art like God, you know, huh. Ad Adam is made, he's good and God breaks him and makes a woman and gets better. So, you know, I, I, I don't ever expect to, if I don't have pressure, if I don't have opposition, I'm, I'm not in the sweet spot. I'm not doing it right. And I'm not looking for that to try and be some sort of like, I need to create drama. That's not even my personality at all. But I also know that when you're doing the right things, there is a certain amount of friction and tension that happens. And so um, if you want to talk about cultural engagement and no one else is howling at you, you're not hitting on the culture. Right. You know, you're not, you're not on the sweet spot that if you're playing on the sand where nobody else is playing, then no one's going to see your work. No one's going to engage your work. You got to come to where the people are, what's really going on. Um, and that's why prophets get killed yeah. because they're talking on people's sin. They're dealing right where they're at. I mean, Good preaching hurts. Right. Um, Do you think that is why art today has kind of, I don't know if the right word is suffered, but diminished in quality and in beauty is because people are creating art that haven't had that pressure? If you want to call it art. Um, <laughs> you know, most of the stuff that I see that's art is watercolors. And, and I think it's the same thing with the, you know, when you think about, I got this idea a little bit from um, our guys over the, um, uh, can't think of their names right now. Uh, what but, state are they in? <laughs> Arizona, <laughs> Florida. I had a lot of pressure up here. Okay. Give me a break. Um, but pioneers, uh, it, they have a certain sort of grit. They need to have that grit in order to be able to accomplish what they, what needs to be done. And it's to build something for people to live. Uh, I mean, to come over to America, allow a land that hasn't been developed, uh, a land that doesn't have it easy and to build things and to create things is uh, it takes a certain type of tension and, and pressure and kind of craziness, honestly, you know, you're mm -hmm. little, you're out there, you know, you, you, <laughs> you walk into a place and you see just nothing and you're like, there's going to be a building right here. There's going to be sidewalks right there. We're going to have a slide right here. And everybody's looking at you like, okay. And then you get Disney, right? I, I mean, it takes that kind of vision and, uh, and engagement and, and fight. And so, I don't think artists nowadays, um, it's just too easy. You take up your little Apple pen and you just go ahead and just draw your little 
thing and you don't have to actually go out and get ink and use a quill. And I'm great for all those technologies, but when it, when you have a certain amount of work that you have to do just to do basic things, it creates a certain type of person. And we don't have any real work in our art anymore. There's a few places where there's real work. I mean, mm, I, I was just struggle, talking right? or struggle. Yeah. Or struggle. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's, it's just all gone. And mm. so, you know, sometimes I, I got friends who create a faux struggle so that they can get certain things done and get themselves a faux clock. Like, okay, I got to beat this time because they need that in order to be able to do good at their jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, filmmaking, there's certain things about filmmaking that has that still built to it. Filmmaking reminds me so much of construction work. When people just think that you, you know, you grab a camera and you point it, and that's somewhat true, but you got to get your gear there. You got to get the right tripod. You got to set it up. You got to, I mean, it, there's all types of different things that go into just getting the one simple shot. You look at National Geographic and we appreciate a picture and it's so beautiful. It's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And it's amazing because he climbed up. 30,000 elevation to get a shot that's like no one else can get, you know? And so because it's not common, you know? And so mm -hmm. it makes it more beautiful. And so with artists now, there's no, it's flip up your laptop, push a little button. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're so right about that. And yeah. then um, the only thing that I think artists worry about now is how are people going to review it? You know? Yeah. How many um, likes am I going to get on Instagram for it? Yeah. Kind of stuff. Um, but there's a there's a form of art. There's an artist out there that's like, I'm just happy to be done. Right. I, I finished. I got it done. And it was hard. It took mm -hmm. a lot out of me. And you're like, oh, we made it. There's mm -hmm. it. And so if you don't do that when you're creating art, you might want to take a look at your image again and say, I don't know if this is if you get to the editing floor and you don't have four hours that you got to figure out how to squish it down into two. Mm -hmm. I was trying to get to an hour 30, you know, but. <laughs> There's you did something wrong, you That's know, interesting. as you were describing that I was paralleling paralleling business in a lot of ways. It's like some people go into business for money and they don't focus on the business and they don't sweat over the business and they don't have a passion for the business. They don't want to put in the work for it. They want the money. It's like artists. Yeah. They want the likes. They want the appreciation. But if you don't go into it for the right reasons, it's not going to become anything that is valuable. Right. Most of yeah. the time. Yeah, that's right. I agree. All right. So last thing I want to talk about is there has been a teaser or an announcement, however you want to say it, that this isn't the only Synodoc you guys are going to be doing together. There is a series coming out. Okay. No, so Synodoc, Synodoc, we did the Synodoc. We now, did the Synodoc. Yeah. Docu-series? Oh. Yes. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think the the language might have got a little mixed up, but the docu series, a fifteen part docu series, is what's coming next. Called Will the Sword. I thought 15. it was eight. Oh, I'm doubly uh, excited. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, inside of the film, I didn't. I mean, it took me two hours just to try and flesh out all the things that are going on and to paint this kind of picture for you of kind of where we're at in evangelicalism at large. I think the Southern Baptist Convention is not the only people who are going through this particular issue, uh, yeah. but they're the largest. They're the largest institution that's Christian institution that's going through this. Mm -hmm. But all we did was just point at something. The question was asked by what standard, but what wasn't done as much as I would have liked it to be done was start rolling out in every genre and every sphere um, what standard we should be using and how to use that standard. And so, you know, there are right now the, the sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention, um, 
there are other options outside of the Bible that people are using to try and talk about how to solve these, how to deal with these issues. And, you know, you take that, you take what's happening with um, social justice and restitution and reparations. How does that work? Um, You know, all these biblical questions that we didn't get a chance to really answer in the film that I think needs a longer form and not just kind of a punch and go. Um, I think we need to work those out. Um, What is the church for? What are men for? What are women for? Uh, how? Do, what does a pastor do? What's a civil magistrate uh, work? How does that fit into that? What are kids? You know, um, our whole life, our whole government, and everything needs to have a biblical application to it as we as we look at those things, and not just assume that what's running is how it is. It's like, well, let's step back and think. What does the Bible say about that? Mm-hmm. And how are we supposed to approach it as Christians? And if that's what's missing from that's why we're going through all this stuff with resolution nine and the Southern Baptist convention and critical race theory, intersectionality, and all the things that are happening right now, what does the Bible say about how we police our neighborhoods and our cities? And uh, we don't, we don't have any of that laid out for us in scripture very well. And I think that Jared and Tom are seeing that we need to lay out for pastors, for our brothers and sisters, what the biblical standard is and not just assume it sometimes so that we can, we won't be taken captives by these vain ideologies and, and, and false teachings. And if somebody comes in, we'll have a culture that says that's, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that. Um, so, you know, the Bible doesn't say we send a guy to jail. The Bible says he pays his restitution for what he stole. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I think that once, if we can get people to understand that we have a problem, the problem is that we're not using scripture the way we should be. And then the question is, well, how should we be using scripture? And I think how to wield or wield the sword is the answer to how we use scripture in our culture in these, in these uh, spheres. Oh, I got the chills just getting all excited about that. But like, man, I am just not concerned, but weary. I don't know. Like I'm cautious for you guys my family the people that i'm you know that i've been doing battle with that it's gonna get crazy like if the blowback that you guys got from by what standard was what it was yeah this seems like it's gonna be just to the whole nother level yeah then uh, we're right in the center then that's where we're supposed to be at mm-hmm. you know and i hope that god takes it and he breaks it and makes something else beautiful out of it you know yeah amen to that well you guys can be a big part of this by helping support it do you know where you can go to support these things, Chocolate Knox, this new well, series coming up or the well, Synodoc? Well, first, yeah, if you want to see the Synodoc, you need to go founders.org forward slash Synodoc. And actually, what's next is right under where you can view the Synodoc. So you can go there and, and see how I think there's 15 different uh episode episodes that you can see what they're going to engage a topic with. I want to get started on that immediately. Uh, as soon as we get funded for one, I'm ready to go and start filming that one. But I first to Florida. I, yeah, <laughs> or Florida needs to move me. That's what really needs to happen. Uh, but you know, I I got to say, first of all, I don't think people understand how important it is to share stuff. Sharing is a form of currency. It's On the most valuable media, thing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sharing, talking about it, individuals. You know, letting your pastor see the film, send him a link to it, getting it out there, and and. I don't want people to get confused about what the goal of, of Tom and Jared were and founders was. They are trying their very best to say, brothers, let's come together and reason. Let's come together and talk. Let's work these things out biblically and scripturally. And ever since they started doing this, the statement on social justice and the gospel, they have been kind of put aside and not one to be engaged. And now 
that they're doing films, people are wanting to poo-poo on them basically. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, they don't, they don't. If you have a problem with them, if you have a problem with it, let's come, let's reason together. Let's talk about it. Let's work this out as brothers and sisters so that we can come to what the Bible says and work it out in, in our, in a, with fear and trembling. And so uh, sharing the documentary, getting it out there so that those conversations can become uh, public and start being engaged is so huge. So everybody who shared it so far, thank you. Don't stop. Um, share it privately, share it publicly, uh, get it to your churches, and then uh, look at on the same page, founders.org forward slash synodoc. Mm-hmm. You can see what's coming next and uh, give to it and support that as well. Cause I, I can't even tell you guys artistically I'm looking to blow that one out the water. I'm, I'm okay. really excited to do something really fun with um, interviews. I, I want, if I could do interviews like Michael Bay type interviews with Aaron Sorkin mixed in with a little bit of uh, uh, Darren Down, and I think it'd be great. When you say Michael Bay, I'm thinking fireworks in the background as people are saying oh. things. <laughs> Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. When I think Michael Bay, you know, I I wanted to do, I think the trailer scared everybody to say that's going to be, we don't have a category for this type of editing and storytelling. Mm -hmm. It's just outside of all the controversial things. It was just that it was too much sensory overload uh, for a lot of, I think a lot of my Baptist brothers, which is kind of weird because I know they go and watch all the action movies anyway. They just (laughs) don't have a category for it when it comes to to Christians doing this stuff, Mm -hmm. but it was sensory overload. And so I, but I want to keep pushing that to say, let's create something that's a new brand ESPN, Michael Bay, um, you know, type of Aaron Sorkin dialogue that we have good guys who know how to talk. I want to be able to experience that though, in a way that we're not used to experiencing it, uh, in a way that's unique, you know? Yeah, definitely. We have to do that. That's how you take ground. That's what the progressives have done with art for the last hundred years. Like you go back and you look at a show like friends and you would see today, like the things that were scandalous back then, like there was a lesbian couple Today, the scandal is that there's a, you know, a makeout scene of a wedding on Lifetime. It's like you have to push the envelope back. You have to reclaim. You have to regather or recharge and get the land and cause this kind of controversy because that's how you gain ground. I mean, we yeah, go look right. at the other side to see their play. It works. Uh, and they, they are telling, they're using, they're a smaller um, ragtag bunch of people who are using the mediums better than we are. And that's just not, that's just not right. We have better stories. Um, I know a lot of great guys in filmmaking world that are doing things that they have no passion for because it's hard to get Christians to pay other Christians to make films and movies. Mm -hmm. And and I know that some of the, I get it. Me and Marcus disagree on this one. Pray for my brother, Marcus Pittman, by the way, had open heart surgeries recovering right now. Praise God. Yeah. Um, but pray for him that he gets his strength back. But we we disagree on, he always mocks Christian films and he mm-hmm. talks about how horrible they are. But I look at Christian film and Christian cinema in one sense of, of kind of been something that's been buried and gone and forgotten about. And it's learning to walk again. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to mock it too much as it's stumbling along, trying to get its feet underneath it. Yeah, I want to figure out put how, out the fire. You want to stir it up. How, how do I encourage? You? I want to say, guys, that was a great job. Do it again. Here goes mm. some money. Guys, do it again. Do it again. Just be like the sunrise. Do it again. Do yeah. it again. God doesn't get bored doing it again. You don't you don't need to get bored doing it again either. And so, <laughs> you know, we need to develop those type of things amongst Christians. It's, it's not at its best yet. It's not perfect, but we need to encourage them to keep on going to get there, mm-hmm. to practice. You know, that's that's 
That's what this is about. Learn to get better. No one is perfect when they first started walking, let right. alone started running. And I think Christian cinema is at the place right now where it's just now starting to get its feet underneath it and being too harsh of a judge uh, and, and having an open, um, we as Christians, if it's going to be Christian media, it only can have one type of uh, concept. It can only have one type of vision. It can only have one type of man. It, 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 it the narrow, there's a narrow view of what defines a Christian film. Yeah. And, and so we just need to be developing that view out a little more to tell stories, to, to have some sort of sacramental theology that we can tell stories in a way that points to this. We need to be more like C.S. Lewis, more like J.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. We need to, you know, we have, uh, those guys were awesome and we need to have more guys like that. But, um, I think sometimes there's two things. They don't, they find that they can probably make more money in secular world doing stuff that, and who they'll get it. Mm-hmm. And we don't allow for ourselves to give them a chance to develop where we can say that, that, that really was okay. Um, here, try it again, you know, mm-hmm. here, try it again. And so I think that we can disciple some of the new filmmakers, some of the new Christian media and cinema, even if it's not the things that we want to say, hey, guys, that was great. Try it again. And the Christians need to be putting their money towards that so that in the next 15, 20 years, Christian, I mean, look at cinema right now. Um, their worldview, I mean, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You want right. more of that? No. All their cinema looks good. All their cinema- cinematography looks good, mm-hmm. right? They got great actors, but it still doesn't matter because the worldview they're pushing is going to cripple you in the end. So mm-hmm. you can give your money to that. Or you can find the Christian filmmaker who is not making a great movie, doesn't have the cinematography, but God is going to be able to use him if you continue to give to his ministry and develop him over time. And and talk to him, talk to filmmakers and tell them how to encourage him. Hey, man, this was good. You should have done that. Or here's a great idea to move forward. This is when it, but I just want you to know, I'm going to help you. I'm going to pay for your next film so that you can continue to practice those things. So mm-hmm. we just got we to start discipling Christian filmmakers in that way. Yep. So discipling them, supporting them, so we don't get yeah. more of Star Wars. Because the only one who likes Star Wars is Chad in the comments. Let me tell you that. Chad. So, oh man. Yeah, he's a big Star Wars fan. He always wants me to talk about it. It's terrible. So this I'm is sorry. how you support. This is how you di- disciple, encourage filmmakers. You go to founders.org/synodoc, and you watch it. You share it. You pray for them. You pray for yes. the upcoming projects that they're doing because it is a spiritual battle that is being engaged in. I mean, just look and back and seeing the damage that happened from this. We have to be lifting these guys up in prayer because with the new project that they're doing, that they're talking about, it's just going to be twice as much as what they've already gone through. So they need endurance. Mm. They need perseverance. And they need to be filled with the spirit. I'm getting all Pentecostal here. Uh, and hey, also- <laughs> speaking in tongues, pray for Tom Maskell. Pray for he Tom. gets strong. Yeah. Yeah. I heard he's uh, starting to do better. So praise God for that, yeah. for the next round of the battles. So support them with your money, go donate, watch it, share it. And just to say, like in social media, sharing, liking, commenting on everything you see is the currency. It helps with the algorithm. It's not that we're trying to puff ourselves up and make ourselves look better. But when you share our content, it's helping the algorithm know that this is valuable and worth letting other people see. So even if you've commented on one post, comment on another one, share it, like it. That's how we are going to encourage people to continue to make great content. Any last words before we uh, peace out? Honor God. Love your neighbor. Baptize your baby. I'm not going to. Say it. Oh, I wanted it. (laughs) If you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. If you have kids, go baptize them.